0: Let's take our Bibles tonight and open up to the book of Judges again. The book of Judges. It's been a few weeks since we have looked here in the book of Judges, and tonight we're going to be beginning the story of Samson, perhaps the famous of all the most famous of all the judges, and we're going to be looking in Judges chapter thirteen. The story of the birth of Samson. We're actually going to cover this whole chapter tonight. I I won't begin by reading the whole chapter, but uh, we will look through the whole chapter tonight to look at the story of of his birth. And Pretty obviously, the story then is is not going to be as much about Samson as it is about his parents. We will talk about Samson at the very end, but before that, we're going to see... The circumstances surrounding his birth, leading up to his birth, miraculous circumstances really, and really note his, his parents' response to the word of God to them. There's going to be a lot of times in our life where God does things that we don't understand, that don't make sense to us, when God's, when God's plan will seem a little odd, and therefore we're hesitant to believe, and hesitant to follow that plan. But we have to make a decision. Are we going to lean on our own understanding? Or are we going to, in all our ways, acknowledge Him? Because if we want God to direct our paths, and I believe we do, then we can't lean on our own understanding. We have to have faith and choose to believe God, choose to follow His plan... Even though it may seem a little strange, it may not make sense to us because God's plan is always the best plan. Judges chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. I'll read down through verse number 5 to begin with. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years and there was a certain man of Zora of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Heavenly Father, please help us as we study your word tonight to honestly seek to understand and apply the truths that we will see illustrated in this story realizing how important it is for us to walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, I thank you that you do have a plan for us. Nothing happens by accident. And Lord, when we can't understand it, I pray that we would just trust that you are good and you're doing good. And may we faithfully obey you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse number one tells us that we are in a period of another one of these vicious cycles in the history of Israel that's recorded in the book of Judges. Remember the the whole book is about Israel turning from God to serve idols and then God would punish them and eventually they would repent and they would turn back to God and God would bless them again only for them to turn around and start serving idols again. And there was this vicious cycle over and over again. And every time we go through the cycle, it seems to get a little worse every time. Now, when the Israelites would repent, God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, who would lead them in victory against their enemies, that would restore them to um, a time of peace and prosperity. And already we have seen that these judges were far from perfect. Some of them, like, for instance, we saw Jephthah reach recently. He was the one who sacrificed his own daughter to the Lord because I guess somehow he thought that would make God happy. Some of them were very, very deeply flawed. Samson was one of those, as we'll see in his story in the weeks ahead, Lord willing. And it says in verse number one that the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. That word again is significant because it's like, Really? Again? That's what we're dealing with here. Have they not learned their lesson? No. They're almost as hard-headed as you and me. They haven't gotten the picture yet. And the Bible tells us that God delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. This is one of the longest periods of oppression yet in the book of Judges. And for 40 years, the Israelites had been under the oppression of the Philistines. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hand, but there is a large number of people in this room tonight who are even, not yet even 40 years old. Some of us will meet, reach that milestone this year, by the way. And that means that for their entire lifetimes, these people 40 years old and under had never known anything but Philistine oppression. They had never enjoyed the peace and prosperity that God wanted the Israelites to have, and that God promised the Israelites they would have if they obeyed Him. They'd never known that. Now, when they were just little children, it was not their fault. It was their parents who had led, who had made the choices, but now... This generation has grown up and has followed in their parents' footsteps, so that now you have a whole other generation that has been raised in idolatry and has chosen to go down that path, that same path themselves. So this was the situation in the land of Israel, and then we come to in verse number two, when we're introduced by uh, to a man by the name of Manoah. He was a uh, Um, of of a place called Zorah. He was a Danite. He was of that tribe. And we're told in verse number 2 that his wife, who she's not named, she was barren. That is, she had not been able to have children. And one day, according to verse number 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to this woman and told her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive... And bear a son. We're not told exactly what was happening here, but at some point in this, as this woman was just going about her business one day, the angel of the Lord appeared and delivered this wonderful message: "You're going to have a child. You're going to conceive, and you're going to bear a son." Specifically, what you have here is the delivery of God's promise. Now, who is this angel of the Lord, you might ask? It's very possible that this is a pre-incarnate Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. There's some indications in this particular passage that lead me to believe that, as we'll see in just a little bit, particularly that they offered sacrifice to this messenger and were not rebuked for it. And the language here, there are many times where you see the phrase angel of the Lord, and it is actually referring to God the Son appearing on earth. So this angel of the Lord gives this particular promise to this woman, you're going to bear a son. But then he also gives her a plan. Notice in verse 4. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not anything. For lo, thou shalt conceive a bare son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So notice the plan that was laid out here for how this little boy was to be raised, even before birth. He was to be raised in accordance with a custom called the vow of the Nazarite. What was that all about? Well, let's go back to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6 with me. And I think it'll be good for us just to take a moment and understand what this whole vow of the Nazarite is all about. In the book of Numbers, you have among other things, some certain laws about customs and sacrifices and different things that the Old Testament Jews were to follow. And here were instructions for a person, a man or a woman, who wanted to dedicate a portion of their time of their life to God in a very special way. And to do that, they could take a vow known as the vow of a Nazarite. Numbers chapter 6, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves, to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dries. Dried All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled, in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body." And we'll pause there just for sake of time. But if you were to go through the book of uh, Numbers in chapter number 6 at this instruction about the vow of the Nazarite, the word that you would see repeated over and over and over again is that word separation. The whole purpose of this vow was for a person to separate themselves from from really everything else just about so that they could be dedicated totally to God during this period of time. Now there's no other record of anyone that we know of in the Old Testament that was a Nazarite from before birth. But what the angel was telling this woman, the wife of Manoah, is that her son was to be separated to God from even before birth. And that he would be considered a Nazarite under these very strict rules from the time before he was born all the way through his life. Now this is going to obviously play into his story much later on because what is the one thing that Samson is most known for other than his strength? His hair. Well, how did he get that long hair? It's because he was a Nazarite and he was not supposed to cut his hair because of that vow. But the whole point of that vow was to demonstrate separation to God. It was to be an illustration of what holiness was all about. Because holiness is separation from sin to God. So the plan that the angel laid out for this woman was that her son was to be a Nazarite from before birth. And then notice at the end of verse number five, the angel told Samson's mother the purpose. It says he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Here is what God was going to do with Samson. He was going to be the next judge. There was a purpose behind the plan, and all of it based upon the promise of God. Well, no doubt this woman was very excited. In verse number 6, it tells us that she came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So here, Samson's mother goes back to Samson's father, Manoah, and tells him what happened. I had a special visit from this man. He was a very unusual looking man. His countenance was very terrible. I thought he was an angel, but he didn't tell me where he was from, didn't even tell me what his name was, but here's what he said. And she recounted to her husband exactly what the angel of the Lord had told her, almost almost word for word. Now, if you were Manoah, how would you respond? Now, hopefully, you would respond with rejoicing, Hopefully, you would be thrilled at the promise of God. Hopefully, you would be excited and looking forward to welcoming this baby boy into the world and and being instrumental in raising him up and and being a part of God's plan to deliver Israel. But that's not what happened. Look at verse number 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Manoah here, but this request was really unnecessary because he had already been instructed via what his wife told him. But I see in this a little bit of doubt, a little bit of hesitancy. On Manoah's part. He's not quite sure. Maybe his wife misunderstood. Maybe she got her wires crossed. Maybe this guy was just a lunatic, whoever she talked to. But he wasn't quite sure himself. So he goes to God and he says, Lord, will you send the messenger to me too? Now God very graciously answered affirmatively. Verse number 9, God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again, notice this, verse number 9, under the woman as she sat in the field. Under the woman again. Not directly to Manoah, but to Mrs. Manoah, since we don't know her name. Because it says, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And so, verse 10, The woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me and that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the, unto the woman? Do you hear the doubt in his voice again? His wife said that same guy is back. He shows up. Are you the same guy? And he said, verse, verse 11, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her beware. I've already told her. So here, since, since you seem to be a little bit hard-headed, Manoah, I've already told her what to do. Here it is. I may be reading in between the lines a little bit here, but I think I think Manoah was was struggling here. She may not eat of anything that verse fourteen that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I command commanded her, let her observe. So verse 15 says, Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of the bread. If thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. Now At this point, that's not, not, that's not a fault of Manoah's yet. He just wasn't aware. But here we find a major mistake that Manoah made. Verse 17. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? He didn't know this was an angel, but now he's asking for this being's name so that he can honor what he thinks is a prophet or a man. That's pretty misguided, isn't it? Hey, maybe I missed it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Have we yet read where Manoah said, praise the Lord? Have we yet read where he said, glory to the Most High? Have we read anything like that? But now he wants to know who this guy is so he can honor him. And so he's softly rebuked in verse number 18. The angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? I'm not telling you my name. That's not for you to know. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. Now you have to admit, if you had been in in their position and you had seen this person all of a sudden dematerialize and go up in the smoke and disappear into heaven, you probably would be a little bit afraid and fall on the ground too. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. Verse 21. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Finally, He gets the picture. But, look at verse 22. Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. He's a man of extremes, is he not? (laughs) Couldn't figure out who this guy was. Finally figures out he's an angel of the Lord. Now, he says, we're going to die. We've seen God. It's the end for us. There's a couple of times in the Old Testament that um, you see this, this belief expressed. And it goes back to a misunderstanding of an incident that occurred in Moses' life where God allowed Moses to see a little bit of his glory but not his full expression of glory. And God said, no man could look on my face and live. Well, people began to believe then that you, nobody could see God in any fashion and survive the encounter. And that'd become a superstition amongst them. We know that you can get a glimpse of God and survive. Because Jesus came to earth and showed it to us. We beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. John 1 talks about that. But here Manoah thinks, oh my goodness, we're going to die. I love verse 23. His wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, He would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would He have showed us all these things, nor would us at this time have told us such things as these. If God wanted to kill us, why do you think He would have come and told us we were going to have a child and told us how to raise this child and told us that there was a plan for this child? Why would He have accepted the burnt offering? I like how one commentator described this. said that the weaker vessel had the stronger faith. I like that. Because Mrs. Manoah was obviously the one in this story who had no problem believing what God said. It was Manoah who was hesitant, to put it nicely. He just really struggled believing this to the point that now he thought that God was going to kill him because he had seen this angel. You also see in this, I believe, the effects of their culture. For a whole 40 years now, they have not worshipped the true God. And so there's a lot of misunderstanding about how to worship God properly. There's a lot of misunderstanding about how God actually operates. And there was so, so there were some misconceptions here on Manoah's part. But verse 24 tells us that the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. So sure enough, this woman bears a child, a son, and his name is Samson. And God began to use Samson to deliver the Israelites, just like he said. This is a wonderful story of the start of Samson's life. It gives us some insight into some things we'll learn later down the road. But I think there are some spiritual truths that are illustrated in this story that are very helpful for us tonight, if we'll pay attention to them. I think there are three lessons that we can learn from this encounter of the angel with Manoah and Manoah's wife. First of all, we need to learn to simply have faith in God's promises. I know that seems basic, but isn't it often the basic lessons that we have to relearn over and over again? Just believing in God's promises is basic to the Christian life because that's how you become a Christian. God says... For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it is faith in the gospel and the promise of eternal life through the gospel that we become a Christian. So when I say have faith in the promises of God, it's almost like, well, obviously we're doing that because we're Christians. But the truth is we do not always live our lives by faith, do we? There are many times that we live by sight. We we see what's going on around us, and what we see determines how we act, rather than what God says determining how we act. See, Manoah, all he could see was a barren wife. She had no children. What he did not see was that heavenly messenger. And so because he didn't see the heavenly messenger, didn't hear that message, and all he could see was a wife who couldn't have children, he didn't believe. He wanted evidence of his own. I'm reminded of the story of Thomas in the Gospels. After Jesus rose and had appeared to a few of the disciples, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I... Can put my fingers in the scars and thrust my hand into a side. only then will I believe it's not good enough what you say it's not good enough what Jesus had previously said I have to see it to believe it that's not faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen not seen and even after he saw, Manoah still had trouble believing. He thought God was going to kill him. Did he really believe in the promise of God? If he thought God was going to turn around and kill him? Doesn't seem like it. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus said very simply, Have faith in God. Have faith in the promises of God. We find the promises of God in the Word of God. And if you're wondering, well, what promises do I need to believe? The answer is yes, all of them. Get in there and find them out for yourself. The promises of God's presence with you, the promises of God's protection, the promises of God's provision, the promise of God's providential guidance in your life. And we could go right down the list tonight, listing promise after promise after promise of what God has said He will do for you. Just believe. Don't say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. No, you'll see it when you believe it. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. Have faith in God's promises. And then a second lesson we learn from this story is follow God's plan. Follow God's plan. Now, the, the angel laid out a plan, very simple. This child is to be a Nazarite. From before birth. So while you are expecting, you're not to drink any grape juice, you are to yourself be separated, and when the child is born, you are to you are to raise this child as a Nazarite and all that came with that, including don't cut his hair. Now, how do we know that Manoah and his wife followed God's plan? Well, we have the evidence, like we've already said, of his hair. That was a very clear evidence that they had, had, uh, they had followed God's plan. But I think in our text here, when it says that the child grew and the Lord blessed them, I think that's a strong indication that they had followed God's plan and they had raised Samson like God told them to. Those of you who have children, you have plans for your children. You have things you want to see your children do, things you don't want to see them do. You have, you have plans for them, and that's not bad. But are they God's plans? And what if God's plan for your child is different than yours? Every one of us has plans for our life, have things that we expect to do tomorrow, the next day, the next week, next month. I mean, we may not be very far out in the future, Maybe you're an especially organized person and you know exactly what you're going to do in 2035. I don't know. But we all have plans, things we expect to do. But what if God's plans are different? Whose plan are we going to follow? Ours or God's? Well, that is a simple choice. It is the choice between being a failure or being a success. If you want to be a failure, here's how you do it. Make your own plans and stick to them. Don't follow God's. You will fail in life every single time. If you want to be a success, here's how you do that. Follow God's plan. I think about James chapter 4 when it says that when we're making plans, somebody might be saying that they're going to go into such a city and they're going to continue their year and they're going to buy and they're going to sell and they get gain. God says, That's foolish. You don't know what your life is. It's even like a vapor that appeareth for a little while and vanisheth away. So, you know, it would be a whole lot better for you to say, If the Lord will, we will do this or that. It's not wrong to plan ahead, but it is wrong when your plans are not submitted to God's sovereign plan for your life. Follow God's plan. Much of God's plan is laid out for us in His Word. He's told us some things very clearly that we ought to do. But then there are specific aspects of God's plan for our lives where we need to seek specific guidance from the Lord. You know, I cannot tell you specifically, if it's not revealed in Scripture, I can't tell you specifically all the details of God's plan for your life. I can just give you the principles of Scripture. No person on earth can tell you that, what God's specific plan is for you. Only God can do that. And the great news is He will. If you will seek Him and you will trust Him and you will be committed to following His plan, He'll lay it out for you. He will guide your steps. He will lay it, just make it plain. You'll hear a word behind thee when you turn it to the light, right or turn to the left saying, this is the way, walk in. it." That's God's promise to us. Follow God's plan. Have faith in God's promise. And then number three, fulfill God's purpose. Fulfill God's purpose. What was God's purpose for Samson? Remember what did the angel say in verse number five? He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. That was God's purpose for this this little boy that was to be born. And because... Samson's parents, for those formative years of his life, were committed to raising him right. And because Samson, at least to some degree, allowed God to work through him, God's plan began to be fulfilled in and through Samson. Now, it was not fulfilled perfectly because Samson made some very big mistakes. But this should give us hope. That if we have faith in God's promises and if we follow God's plan, then God will fulfill His purpose in our lives. It says in verse 25 that the Spirit of the Lord began to move Him at times in the camp of Dan. You know, we think about the story of Samson. We think about that phrase, the Spirit of the Lord moving him. What do we think about? Well, think about those feats of strength, right? You know, carrying the city gates up the mountain and, and the time that he caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail with a firebrand and burnt all the crops. And, and we think about how he killed all those men with the, uh, with the donkey's jawbone. And we think about how he pulled down the pillars on the Philistines. We think, well, that was the Spirit of God moving him and all of those mighty uh, feats of strength. And yes, that was, an, uh, was Samson was able to do that because the Spirit of the Lord enabled him to do that. But do you understand that the same Holy Spirit that enabled him to do those incredible feats is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you today if you're a believer? Now, that's not to say that he's going to give the ability to you know, lift cars or go win a strongman competition, as handy as that might be at some point. But the wonderful thing is, He will enable you to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. See, God has not called me to destroy the Philistines. And I'm thankful for that. God's call on my life and God's plan and God's purpose for me is totally different. But whatever that plan is, the Holy Spirit will enable us to fulfill that plan. Here's the wonderful thing about God's plan for your life is that God does not expect you to do it on your own. He promises to do it through you. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. God doesn't say, all right, I want you to go there and be a missionary. Have at it. Good luck. Let me know how it goes. That's not what God does. No, He goes with us, He enables us, He empowers us, and He works through us to accomplish His will. It's the best deal ever. Because when you submit to God's purpose and plan for your life and say, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do, then God says, great, I'll do it through you. And He will give you the strength, He'll give you the wisdom, and He'll give you the grace to accomplish that thing, whatever it is. And here's the end result that because it was God doing it through you and not you doing it in your own strength, guess who gets all the credit for it? God does. God does. Guess who is blessed in the process? You are. Talk about a good deal. God does the work through you and you get a blessing as a result of it and God gets glory. It's a win win win. Listen, there is nothing more satisfying than fulfilling God's plan for your life, than doing what you know God wants you to do and watching God work through you to accomplish His will. I wish that we could go through the story of Samson and it would just be, you know, one glorious triumph after another with no mistakes and it would just be a wonderful record of all of the great things that Samson saw God do because he always trusted God. That's not the story of Samson. We're going to see that. He was a very selfish and a very sensual person. But if God could use someone like that so deeply flawed, doesn't it give us hope that God can use us too? Not to excuse any of our faults or to say, well, we can do whatever we want and God will use us anyway. No, 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 no. But if God would use someone like Samson, and if God could, then God can certainly use you and me. It's not about, here's what it boils down to. It's not about us. It's about God working through us. Fulfill God's purpose and plan in your life. Have faith in God's promises. Follow God's plan and fulfill God's purpose. It took Manoah a little bit of time to get to that place of faith. Together, he and his wife followed God's plan. And we begin to see that God fulfilled his purpose in Samson's life. And God can and will do the same for us if we, too, will walk by faith, follow His plan, and see God fulfill His purpose. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You, Lord, that You would use any of us. I can't speak for anyone else. But speaking for myself, Lord, it is amazing that you would use me to do anything. Lord, I'm thankful that my faults were no surprise to you. And that even though you knew every single time that I would fail you, you chose to work in my life. And give me the privilege of seeing you work through me to accomplish your purpose. Lord, I want to stay in a place where you can use me and you can get glory through me. And Lord, I want to pray for everyone that's listening to me tonight that they too would be in that place where they're having faith in your promises and they're following your plan and they're fulfilling your purpose. That they would know the joy and the satisfaction that it brings. And Lord, ultimately that you would get the glory that you deserve. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.